Well, good morning, church. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, there we go. There we go. Man, it's been a great morning so far, and I can't wait uh, for what is about to happen. We've been asking you over the last couple of weeks as we have been preparing for this series called Difference Makers uh, to submit names um, to, to us uh, of people that you've noticed in our church who are difference makers both here in this church and in this community. And let me tell you, this past Tuesday, we gathered as a staff to kind of review the submissions, and I had no idea what to expect. Um, but at least as of Tuesday, I think there have been more since, 16 different people were nominated. And as we read through those uh, as a staff together on Tuesday, we were just blown away. And I can't tell you, probably best staff meeting of the year uh, to share uh, in your words about different members of this church um, who you see living differently in, in a very tangible way because of Jesus. And I want to tell you, there's no way today and next week and we could possibly recognize everyone that's, that's been nominated. But we do plan to honor uh, two today and two next week. And, and in the coming months and weeks, we will continue this because I think this will be a very rich experience for us. Romans 12.10 reminds us to take delight in honoring each other. And we probably just don't do that enough. Uh, but what a great thing for us to do as a church family, uh, for us to take delight and honoring each other, and seeing Christ in each other, and calling that to the forefront. Here's the problem with difference makers. They hate attention. Uh, They don't want to be recognized. They're not doing it for any public glory, and that makes us love them even more. And so this uh, will be difficult for those that we call to the stage. But I want to invite two people this morning to stage to come join Jason and I. Uh, I want to invite Christine Peake and Pete Montgomery. If you two would come to the stage. Pete, I see you, Christine. Perfect, yeah. You guys have a seat just for a minute. We haven't even done anything yet. You guys are already excited. <laughs> sure, sure. Wherever you want to be, Christine. Yeah. Uh, so let me read, uh, Christine, what people have sent in about you. Uh, Liz Phillips said, Christine is one of the most loving, caring, thoughtful Christians I've been blessed to know personally. I see her regularly praying for people, giving all, with all of her heart and soul. She's a true servant, putting others before herself and taking care of people who are hurting and struggling. I hope one day I can give the way she does. Corey Epping said this, While reading Corey's email, the first name that immediately jumped into my mind was Christine Peake. Honestly, it was hard to nominate her for just one area. She is invested in our children's program and deeply devoted to teaching the Bible. She engages with others and deeply cares about the people in our community. She all, so often you see her writing her thoughts and prayers down so she can come back to them during the week. She then follows through and reaches out to those individuals so they know they are being prayed for. She has done this for me on several occasions. And when I think of someone living differently in Christ's name, Christine is it. Her her love is unconditional and her passion shines. And then Carolee Sampson said this. Christine is the most loving, caring, and encouraging woman I have known. She lives differently every day in the way God instructs us to do. Her heart is literally full of doing for others, along with giving encouraging and kind words to all she sees. She is a humble giver and never glorifies her work or herself, just simply and quietly gives it all to God. She is the model person for living differently, and it is with great honor that I nominate her. So, Christine, we've just got, this is a really simple thing. 
but it's a simple certificate that says, uh, you make a difference, Christine Peake, by choosing to live different as you serve others in the name of Jesus. So, Christine, thank you for the way you live different. We love you. The beautiful thing about something like this is there's, you know, three paragraphs can't sum that up, right? There, there's so much more even to what Christine does. And I think if you know her, you know uh, her servant heart. I had multiple conversations with people when we were talking about nominating difference makers. And the first thing people would say was like, well, and, and Pete Montgomery is going to be one of them, right? Um, just kind of a duh. Uh, Pete, Pete's going to be one of the ones we talk about. Um, if, if you talk about what it means to have a servant heart and what it means to, to live differently and to live with Jesus as your, your, your primary motivation, one of the first names that's going to come up for anybody that's been here for any length of time is Pete. Uh, Pete's done, uh, Pete, Pete does continually does amazing things with our, our butterfly school, greeting kids in the morning. He's, he's uh, a constant presence at our, our building here, doing little things around, doing wonderful stuff. Um, most of you have, have had a chance, if you're, even if you're a guest with us, you've probably been handed a card by Pete. Pete has a ministry of handing out things. He hands out cards uh, with the Gideons. He hands out Bibles on a regular basis. Um, he loves to hand out the love of Jesus to anybody that he comes into contact with. Um, one, of the, one of the people that nominated him was Peggy Taylor, who's the, the director of our Butterfly School, who loves Pete dearly. Um, she says... She doesn't call you Pete. You can read it. She says, Mr. Pete. (laughs) Mr. Pete spends his time working for the kingdom. He is bold in his faith. He is not scared to talk to strangers about Christ. He is intentional in engaging others. He looks for opportunities to share his faith and invite others to worship with us. From passing out his cards to handing out Bibles, he is invested in the cause of Christ. Um, I do want to say this. The last year has not been easy for Pete. Uh, it's been a, been a hard road, hasn't it, um, as he has struggled with, uh, with cancer uh, and has gone through rounds of chemo and been in the hospital a lot. And for anybody that went and visited Pete in the hospital, you know that one of the things he said continually in his time there is, I'm here for a reason. And I think, I think more cards got handed out in the hospital than IV drips. I mean, there, was, there were a lot of cards handed out to every nurse and doctor and orderly that came into that, uh, that room. Uh, and Pete saw that he was there for a reason, and God honored that. God honored the, the work of that, and I know many relationships were built. And as hard as it's been, what, what the beauty of those moments is, is that, that the chemo worked. And the time in the hospital worked. And as of uh, just a, a few weeks ago, he got, the, uh, got the, the news from the doctor that he is cancer-free. Right, Pete? Now, that, there, there are still things to be done and still things with his health that he has prayers for and that we'll continue to pray for and think about. But Pete is returning to his health and doing all the things that, that he loves to do. And we thank you for doing that. And, and in honor of your, uh, your faithfulness in the midst of all the things that you've gone through this year, we want to give you this, uh, this certificate. It says very similarly to, to Christine's. Uh, it says, you make a difference, Pete Montgomery, by choosing to live different as you serve others in the name of Jesus, April 29th, 2018. Uh, we, we present this to you as the Riverside Church of Christ, your church family and people who love you dearly. Thank you, Pete.
Church, if you would, if y'all would stand with us uh, just for a moment, and let's, let's have a word of prayer and thank God for Pete and for Christine. Let's pray. God, we just come before you um, in this holy moment, and we want to thank you for two of your incredible servants, uh, Pete and Christine. God, thank you for the way they love you and the way they love your church and the way they love uh, this world. Thank you for the way that they selflessly and tirelessly serve uh, and give of themselves. And God, um, I just pray that you would, you would help us to follow them as they follow Christ uh, because they have such a great example for us. And we're so thankful to them uh, for the way they follow you. Uh, God, thank you so much uh, for these uh, sweet servants. Uh, God, help all of us uh, to grow more and more uh, in our love for you and our love for others uh, as they are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. I don't really feel the need to preach after that. <laughs> wow. Uh, we're going to keep doing this from time to time because we believe it's important for us to be called back uh, to the heart of it all, uh, for us to call ourselves back to, to this core desire that is in this church and honestly should be in every church, uh, for us to live different because of the impact that Jesus is having on our lives because of the tangible difference that he is, he is making inside of every one of us as we are transformed more and more into his image. And we don't understand it. It's, it's, it's mysterious, but it, it's the way it works. As we draw near to God, we are transformed more and more into the image of his son. And that makes a difference in the way we live. And so our marriages are different. The way we raise kids is different. The way we go to work is different. The way we live in our neighborhoods is different. Literally, everything is different about us because we're having a real interaction uh, with this God who is alive and his son who came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended back to heaven. And now he reigns in our hearts as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that makes a difference in our hearts. Can I get an amen? That makes a difference in our lives. We believe that this is why we are here. We are here to live different. And today I really want to just, as we begin this little two-week mini-series, I want to start with this, this idea. And I think you know this is true. I didn't come up with this. But it's this idea that, that it's really hard to hate when you hold someone close. It's hard to hate when you hold someone close. If you've been around Riverside very long, um, you'll notice that I talk a lot about my kids, and it's not because my kids are perfect. They, they are not. It's not because Alicia and I are the perfect parents. I assure you, I am not. Um, see what I did there? I do it because I believe the family really is a bit of a microcosm of the church, of, of the faith family. And if you hang around here long enough, you'll hear us talk about Riverside more as a faith family than a church. Because that's what we're striving to do and to be is, is to be a faith family, to be a, a group of people who really care about each other and love each other and take delight in honoring each other and these kinds of things. And uh, sometimes what you see in the family is what you see in the church, at least it should be. And, and like every family, um, the, sometimes there's highs and lows, good and bad. All of it kind of comes together. You know that we have a son and two daughters. My two daughters are nine and seven years old. And, and like any you know, two sisters, they have their good days and their bad days. And the other day I was in the, the living room doing something, 
probably reading my Bible. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm just, I got all the jokes today. And uh, my girls were next door in the playroom, and they were playing, of course, and being sweet. And then you know, it happens, right? Uh, they, they begin to fuss. There's a disagreement that's broke out. Then frustration rises. And, and I hear the level of their voices and the level of their frustration rising. And I'm hoping that Alicia hears it too, so I don't have to deal with it. She doesn't. Uh, and then I hear stomping of feet and toys being thrown down. And I'm just thinking, oh, my word. So I call my girls into the living room. And, you know, being the good father I am, I have this incredible parenting moment. I should write a book. I'm like, what happened? They talk about it. Get both sides of the story. We figure out the problem. I ask them, you know, how can we handle this better next time? We talk through that a little bit. And then I did that thing that, that parents love to do, but kids absolutely hate. And if you're a parent, you know this if you've ever done this. They're still all grumpy-faced and angry and mad at each other. And I'm like, all right, y'all go. And you have to hug each other and count to 60. Oh, good grief, Dad. Really? So they go over and they've got like the arms like barely around. I'm like, no, you got to squeeze them tight. And they're squeezing each other and they start counting to 60. And you know what happens. They start off counting real grumpy. One, two, you know. And then as they go on, they start to giggle, and they start to smile, they start to laugh. And by the time they get to 60, they're friends again. And then I tell them, to, okay, now I want you to look each other in the eye and say the words, I love you. And they do, I love you, I love you. Okay, good. Now y'all go be nice so I can get back to reading my Bible. (sighs) This is what happens, uh, right? Is that for all of us, we have these tensions, we have these moments where, for whatever reason, sometimes, uh, sometimes we just, we fight. And I know what you're thinking, and, and I think you're probably right. We, we should probably do that here at church, and I'll get the elder's blessing. But from now on, if you have a disagreement with someone, we'll just call you up here on stage and make you hug and count to 60, and then say, I love you, and that'll fix it. Okay, we won't do that. But maybe we should, because it's true. It's hard to hate when you hold someone close. As long as we keep that distance, we can remain angry. But when we draw near the walls, they just start falling down. But our problem is, is that we find ways to hold on to hurt. We find reasons to disagree. We find reasons to get angry. We find reasons for me not to like what you did or you not to like what I did. And that creates a separation, a wall between us. Or maybe it's just that you irritate me and that I want to try my best to avoid you because you get on my nerves. We do this with each other. We find reasons to to, to create distance between us, right? All right, so do this. Raise your hands if you've ever been, I don't know, out at the store or out in the neighborhood or, you know, at work. And you see that person coming that you really don't want to see. You really want to try to avoid them. And so on purpose, you intentionally go a different direction. You go down to a different aisle at Walmart to avoid that person. Have you ever done this? Raise your hand. Be honest. You can't lie in church. All right. Okay. Now, uh, we all do this, right? Now, now raise your hand if you've ever, if you've ever, same kind of thing. You see that person that for whatever reason there's tension, there's a problem, that you don't want to see him, you don't want to talk to him, you don't want to interact with him, and so you get, go a different direction to avoid them at church. Ever done this at church? Be honest, raise your hand. You cannot lie. Some of you are lying right now. We're going to pray for you when they're all said and done. We do this at church. We do this. People, I do this, and maybe you're better than I am, but we do this. We find ways to avoid people. We find ways to not see people, to create distance between us and others. It's just what we do. Now now do this. Make a list in your head. I won't ask you to raise your hand because you guys are not very good at confession. Make a list in your head of all the people over the years who, for whatever reason, 
you've had that kind of separation from, that you've avoided for any reason. It could be a good reason if you think there's good reasons or not so good reasons. Just make a quick list in your head. Think of the people that for whatever reason, from time to time, you've tried to avoid. All right, okay? Now, hold on to that list. Now come over here and make another list in your head. And and you guys are all, you've read your Bibles. Think about the people in Scripture that Jesus tried to avoid. See, this is the problem. Like, I have a long list of people that I've avoided over the years. I can't think of a single person Jesus ever avoided. He didn't do this. He always drew near. And living the Jesus life requires us to be people that draw near. Because what happens for us is that we withdraw We avoid and we try not to see people. There are certain people we try not to see. And what's worse, if we want to get just gut honest, is there are people that we don't see because they are just completely invisible to us. Like we've gotten so good at not seeing them that now they're just, we're oblivious to to their presence. And they become invisible. And that's exactly what happened in this story I want us to look at today. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Acts 3. We're going to look at a story in Acts 3 today. Acts is, a, as you probably know, you may not, it's a letter written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a Greek. Some people think he was a doctor. He was an educated man. Uh, Luke started by writing a letter uh, that we know as Luke, the Gospel of Luke, to a friend. Uh, and he, what he did is he went and researched the whole deal with Jesus, the whole you know, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. He went and talked to different eyewitness, uh, people who had eyewitness accounts of what happened with Jesus, wrote it all down, and this changed Luke. He became a part of the Jesus movement because of his experience of talking to Jesus followers, people who had seen Jesus, and he went on to write this letter called Acts. It may be called Acts of the Apostles in your Bible. I think it should be called Acts of the Church, because what Acts does, what Luke does in Acts, is he, he really tells the story of the church, the activity of the church, from its very beginning. And it's a beautiful story. And in Acts 3, what's happened is, well, there's already about 3,000 people who have given their life to living, to living the Jesus life. It's not even really a church yet. They haven't got it all figured out yet. They're just people. This isn't a religion yet. This is just people that want to give their life to living the Jesus life. And Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, uh, they were a part of his ministry, a part of his life. And on this day in Acts 3, verse 1, you see what happened. Verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Now before we jump too far into the story I think this is really important to see, is that Peter and John, for them, this was another day. They're on their way to the temple to pray. Now, what's interesting is if you back up just a little bit, you find out that Peter is the person who preached that sermon that on that day, 3,000 were baptized. And I don't know about you, but even on my best day, when I've maybe preached the best sermon of my life, I've never seen 3,000 people come to Jesus on the same day. John If you go back a little further, you figure out John, he was probably Jesus' closest friend. He would go on to write at least five books that people attribute to him that became a part of the best-selling book you call the Bible. Yeah, these guys, both of them, in a very literal way, were difference makers. The difference that they have made in human history is literally immeasurable. But on this day, they weren't out trying to increase their platform or network, or make friends, and win, you know, people, whatever. What they were doing, they were going to the temple to pray. 
And I want to start here because I think this is so important. And you see this in the life of people like Christine and, and Pete. Is that so often for difference makers, it starts by being committed to the spiritual practices. To being committed to prayer. To being committed to, to being with, with Jesus. And what you find out is that if you spend enough time being with Jesus, then he's going to give you things to, to do. If you ever try to flip that, you'll, you'll figure out it doesn't quite work. Peter and John were on their way to pray. They were on their way to pray because it was never their desire to be known by the masses. They wanted to be known by their maker. They were on their way to pray because they wanted to go and be with Jesus. Verse 2, as they approached the temple, there was a man lame from birth who was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John, and you may want to underline this word, Peter and John looked, looked at him intently. In other words, Peter and John saw him. He wasn't invisible to them. Peter and John saw him. Saw him sitting there, saw him carried in, saw him by the gate called Beautiful. They saw him. They saw him. Now this man came every day because he was lame, because he had really no way to provide for his family, to bring an income, to to work. So he had to beg. He was carried there. He couldn't even get there by his own power. And you know that most people that walked by those gates didn't even see him because he was there every day. They didn't even see him because he was lame, he was broken, he was blemished according to their culture. And because of that, in their eyes, he had so little value. In that day and time, especially in the Jewish world and their culture, there was no welfare system. In fact, you may not know this, but the rabbis actually were against any kind of welfare system being, being put in place because they thought that would make it impossible for the people of God to practice the, the commands of God to love your neighbor, and to do justice. They thought in order to practice those commands of God, to care for people, to to love your neighbor, and to do justice, we didn't need any any help from outside. That's what we do because God tells us to do it. But you know what happens because it happens with us. We don't always do what God says. So this man is begging for alms, begging for money by the gate as people are going to pray. And he's become invisible to people who were on their way to church. But not, not to Peter and John. Not to Peter and John. In everyone else's eyes, this man had become devalued. And when you start to devalue people, then people start becoming invisible. But not for Peter and John. And, and I think if they were here today, if we could ask them, they might say that, you know, three years ago, before we met Jesus, if we were going to the temple to pray... We might have walked on by too. But you know what? After spending three years with Jesus, after seeing Jesus see every person he saw as a person of great value, immeasurable worth, after seeing Jesus see people, seeing every person as a person created in the image of God, they began to see people the way Jesus sees people. Every person has incredible value and incredible worth. And say, 
So they, they saw this man that no one else saw because they'd been trained to see the way Jesus sees. And they see this man. And this is what happens. Peter said, look at us. And I find that fascinating. Because when is the last time anybody that was passing by this man said, look up. Look at me. Look at us. Even if you went by and you dropped some money in his hand, you probably kept walking and you probably didn't look long. Peter and John stop. And they asked the man to look. And they looked him in the eye. And you know how this works. When someone looks you in the eye, it communicates value, worth, love. Verse 5. The lame man looked up at them eagerly. You know why, right? Because he was expecting some money. Anybody that's going to stop and ask me to look up, that means they're interested in helping me out. But Peter said, here's the bad news. I don't have any silver or gold for you. Remember Peter and John three years ago left their paying jobs as fishermen to follow a penniless Messiah, a rabbi. And they were living off the generosity of some women who were supporting his ministry. They didn't have any money. They literally had no money. We don't have anything to give you. But Peter said, I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Get up and walk. Verse 7. Then Peter took the man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God. That's important. Praising God, not Peter and John. Praising God. He went to the temple with them. Peter didn't have any money, but he had Jesus. Here's the hard part is that for a lot of us, what we're asking for, what we're praying for is more money, but money is, is really only the answer to a very small amount of our problems, if any at all. Jesus is the answer we all need. The community of Jesus is the answer that we all need. And Peter and John saw this man, and what I find so amazing is that they prayed for God to heal him, and God healed him, And the man went around praising, leaping, jumping up and down, as you might expect, praising God. He didn't praise Peter and John because Peter and John didn't do anything. Peter and John, they stopped, they saw him, they prayed for him, but God healed him. Our job is to see people, to love people. It's God's job to heal people. It's God's job to change people. Verse 9, all the people... All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that, had seen, that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And you know that Peter and John had no idea what God was going to do that day through them. But their faithful action led to faith filled praise. Why? Because they saw someone in need. In fact, they loved him so enough, so much that they were able to, to look past his present need and his present request and his present circumstances to give him what he really needed. They stopped, they loved him, and they literally made a difference in his life. And here's what I want you to know today and, and what I want to remind myself of as well is that in the very same way you and I 
You and I as followers of Jesus, you and I as people who are trying to live different in this world, we are called in a very same way, in a very similar way, to be difference makers. We're called to stop, we're called to see people, we're called to love, and we're called to make a difference in their life in big ways and in small ways and in any way that we can. I have an uncle, or I had an uncle, he, he passed away tragically a few years ago with a heart attack. Uh, his name was Wayne uh, Culverhouse. Uh, my uncle Wayne was a pretty, pretty simple guy, I would say. Uh, he, he lived in Phoenix City, Alabama, went to church right across the uh, border in Columbus, Georgia. Um, growing up, he tell story. He would tell stories about uh, you know riding around town with his mom, with my grandmother, and and their car would always break down. They had two cars. They had a good car and then the other car. And uh, for work, my granddad got the good car, and so my, my my grandmother had to get the not so good car. And and more often than not, she would be broke down on the side of the road. And and Wayne sort of made this commitment, this promise to himself. He's like, when I turn when I turn sixteen, and I get my driver's license. Whenever I see someone broke down on the side of the road, I'm going to stop. And help them. And, and he would tell you that's one of the few things he ever committed to do that he actually did. In, in a very real way, he was a difference maker. They, people say that my Uncle Wayne carried a toolbox like a preacher carries a Bible. And anytime he saw someone stop, he would always stop and help. And that led not only to helping people who were broke down, but it, it led him to, to help anybody he saw on the side of the road homeless people, street people, prostitutes, anyone that needed help. My Uncle Wayne was a guy that would help. He wasn't a preacher, but at least on two occasions, maybe more, he was asked to preach at his local church there in Columbus, Georgia. I've got those two sermons, and I listen to them from time to time. And I want to share with you a story my Uncle Wayne once shared from his life, a true story. He, he, he entitled the sermon, It's Your Birthday, and, and uh, I'll post it later this week if you want to hear it. I think you would be blessed by it. But he tells a story in, in this sermon. He says this. He said, I was coming home from work one day, and I stopped to get gas. As I was leaving the back way, I saw her. She was standing on the side of the road right there. I asked her if she needed a ride. She got in the truck, and she said, I'm out trying to make some money. Are you a cop? When I hear that kind of stuff, I tell you my heart just goes out because I know she's someone's daughter. I had a daughter about her age. Her clothes were rags, her shoes were worn out, her hair was a mess, she wasn't very pleasant to look at. I said, no, I'm not a cop. I was sent here to give you this. I reached in my pocket and I gave her some money. I said, I don't want anything in in return. She said, out here, no one gives you anything. What do you want? I told her, I said, this is different. This is a gift because you're special today. She started crying and she said, how did you know? I said, know what? She said, how did you know that today was my birthday? I said, happy birthday from God. He knew. And the floodgates opened and the crying started and the tears were just beyond control. She could hardly breathe. After time, she pulled this ring off her finger. She said, I found this in the street. It had been run over in the street. And it's broken just like me, just like my life. She handed me the ring and said, I don't know if it's worth anything, but I want you to have it. It's all I have. And every time you look at it, I want you to think of me. And she said, I want to go home. Would you please take me home? 
And on the way there, she said, I wonder if they're going to want me when I get there. I never saw her again. I often wondered if, when she got home, if they wanted her. And I wonder if they gave her a birthday party. And then my Uncle Wayne said this. See, the way a person is received makes all the difference in how the story ends. I think it's so powerful. It's so powerful because my Uncle Wayne had this ability to see people the way Jesus sees people. And I think Jesus is calling every one of us to see people the way Jesus sees people. This is what difference makers do. Difference makers, they see people the way Jesus sees people. They stop, they look, and they love. They stop, they look, and they love. They stop, they look, and they look at the person that God has put right in front of them. And I think for you and I, this is what we're called to do. We're called to be people who stop. who are able to push pause on the busyness of our life, to see people the way Jesus sees people, every person as a person of incredible and immeasurable worth, and to love the person that God puts in front of us. And you know, honestly, maybe the best marriage advice you could get today is to go home, hug your spouse, count to 60. Look them in the eye and say the words, I love you. When's the last time you hugged your spouse that long or looked them in the eye and said those words? Maybe the best parenting advice you could get today is to go home and hug your kids and count to 60 and look your child in the eyes and tell them you love them. Maybe maybe the best advice, if you have a problem with someone in this room, is after church today to go get them and give them a hug. And if you want to count to 60, that's fine. But look him in the eye and tell him you love him. And I know that it's probably not appropriate work to go hug that coworker that you have a problem with. And it probably would not be okay to tell them you love them. That could be misconstrued. But I guarantee you, maybe the best advice you could get today is to see them the way Jesus sees you and to find a way to love them. Maybe the best advice you could get for living in your neighborhood today is to look around the houses next to yours across the street. And instead of being frustrated by your neighbor's fence or garbage can or whatever they do, to go talk to them, to see them, to love them. Maybe the best advice you and I can get as we leave this place and we go to eat somewhere, or go to the store, wherever we go, is to stop long enough to see the people that God puts right in front of us. To look at them in the eye, because that communicates value and worth and love. And to love those people. To love that person. Because this is what difference makers do. They don't allow what happens in here to only affect them in here, but they allow, they allow what happens in this moment as all of us together encounter Jesus to transform us. And it makes us different as we leave this place. To live different because of Jesus. To see different because of the way Jesus sees. 
to stop, to look, and to love. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. So the rest of the story. Uh, I fully believe that Peter and John had no idea of what was going to happen that day. But because they were willing to stop, look, and love, here's what happened. A man who had never walked, walked. Everybody that came to the temple that day at 3 o'clock to pray ended up praising God. And if you keep reading the story, that church that started with 3,000 a chapter before became a church of 5,000. All because Peter and John, on their way to pray, stopped, looked, and loved. All because they stopped, they looked, and they loved. You don't know what hangs in the balance for someone when you stop, when you see them, and when you love them. So today, this is my encouragement to you and to all of us, is to be these kinds of people. To be these kinds of people. To be the kind of people that can push pause in our life, to see those in front of us, and to love them with the love of Jesus. But I also want to say this, that if you're in the room today and you need someone to stop, to see you and to love you, I want you to know that this church wants to do that. So I'm going to ask my elders and their wives to make their way around the room. What you may not know is that in this room, there are lots of Peters and Johns. There are lots of people who who would love nothing more than to stop what they're doing, see you, and pray with you. And if you're feeling like this lame man was, if you're feeling blemished and broken or beaten down by the world around you, devalued by others, they would love to, to hug you, if you would allow them, to look you in the eye and tell you that you were loved. And so we're going to sing this song, and as we do, feel free. Feel free to make your way to one of them and let them pray for you, because they see you, we see you, and we want to love you. For the rest of us, let's commit this week to being like Peter and John, to being people who see people the way Jesus sees people, the way Jesus first saw us and loved us. Let's sing.